This is episode 76 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events podcast. We're continuing with Men's Roundup 2010 with Bill Thrall. This is session two, Saturday morning. Good morning. I appreciate that. That was nice. Um, what I'd like to do, I'd like to start this morning by asking you a question. Um, what did you hear me say last night? Now, don't, don't look at your notes. I didn't ask you, what did I say? I said, what did you hear me say? Trust? Amen. We talked about trust. Integrity. We talked about integrity. We talked about trust. We talked about humility. Thank you. Raise your hand so I can just point you out. What, what did you hear? You heard about grace. Yes, sir. We learned about how to healthily view ourselves. Somebody else, what did you hear? How to trust God and others with me. Over here, yes, sir. Amen. Yeah, looking at sin together instead of it being between us. Yes, sir. Yeah, how to love. Amen. One more. How to be transparent. We're going to talk a little bit more about that this morning. As you think about what you heard last night, what I'd like you to do with me today is what I'd like to do with you is I want to talk with you about a process that we're learning that we're finding to be really helpful to a lot of people. It's called the process of protective love. One of the books that was held up for you is called Bo's Cafe. Uh, we had a great time writing that book and that book is about this process. That's why we wrote it. And what we're discovering is a lot of us don't understand how to let someone protect us. Uh, sometimes we go into leadership meetings with major Christian organizations and some corporations and we talk about a process that sounds really simple. It's, it's a process of learning how to submit to each other's strengths. And that in and of itself takes a lot of trust. And then we get to part two. And part two is this, learning how to protect each other's weaknesses. So as we begin this morning, um, I'd like to just take a couple of minutes to talk about asking the Lord to help prepare our hearts. And, and let me give you a short list of some things that are at least in my heart and maybe in your heart. Number one is this. Lord, help me to not be afraid to be known. Help me, God, with my fear to be known. Uh, under that, I, I had this thought. Can I learn to trust God with my wife? Can I learn to trust God with my wife? Do I see her? as a major resource of God because of her love for me. Um, secondly, I thought this. Um, can I trust God to allow someone to love me enough to stand alongside me in a, even if they knew the worst of me? How do I prepare my heart for that? How do, how do I do that? How do I long... How does the longing in my heart to be known, and secondly, 
who is that that loves me enough to stand alongside me even if they knew the worst about me? I also thought about this because we talked about a lot last night, this whole area of trust. Um, it's kind of interesting uh, theologically. If we don't understand humility, we reduce our Christian life to striving. Do you hear what I just said? If we don't understand humility, we reduce our Christian life to striving. And you know what we do? We strive really, really hard to get to that place where God will be pleased with us. But I want to tell you something. When you trust God, he's already pleased with you. Men, it's imperative that we understand something. God is never not pleased with you. Oh, that can't be true. You don't know me. Listen, say it real carefully to you. That's because you don't know God. His son, Jesus Christ, died at a place called Calvary to give you a new life to put you into his family so that you could trust him and not reduce your Christian life to striving. You know where else we strive? We're talking about this this morning. Man, men, we really strive to work really hard on our sin. And how's that working for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we know, don't we? We know the struggle. So let me just give you this kind of Bill's one-liner stuff, but it helps me. Um, there's no resolution. There is no resolution to my life issues without love. And there is no love without trust. And there is no trust without humility. Do you understand that when I trust God and others with me, that trust opens the door to the resolution of all of my life issues? As I introduce us to this process, I'd like to just have you look at the three parts I'm going to be talking about tonight, tomorrow, today, tonight, and tomorrow. Let's just put up the first slide here. It says... The awakening. What we're going to talk about this morning is the first stage of protective love. And it says this, awakening to the pain of not being able to control my life the way I thought I could, stuck with unresolved life issues whose symptoms I am trying to solve without help from others. Now that's in your paper, and I want you to just kind of take a moment with me to do this. I'd, I'd like you to circle the word pain. Just circle the word pain. Awakening to the pain of not being able to control, circle the word control, my life the way I thought I could. Um, I, I do a, a certain amount of mentoring 
um, and, and uh, I have the privilege of, of mentoring some leaders. Uh, and, and one of the leaders I'm mentoring right now is the president of a major Christian school, university. And um, in this process of this last year, he and I have, with his wife, talked about and gotten to the core of some really deep pain in him. We do a, a marriage encounter for executives and their wives. And, and we teach to this principle. And what we do is we, we allow um, the couples who come to meet with us if they choose to during the time we're with them. And my wife Grace and I met with this couple and he's a New York City architect and she's a Broadway producer. And they sat across from us at this resort and he had his hands like this and his head down and tears were dropping on the back of his hand. And she looked up at him and was confused because she probably had not seen him like this before. And, um, and he looked up at me and he was kind of slobbering. <laughs> and he looked up at me and he looked me in the eye and he said this, Bill, I don't know how to thank you. For the first time in my life, I have language for my pain. And then he told us a story. They've been married 23 years, and his wife told us in 23 years of marriage, she'd never heard the story. Men, I want to tell you, it's really hard for us as men to get in touch with our pain. And it's really, really hard for us to tell anybody we're really hurting. I didn't say it last night, but I want to say it now. You may not understand it until I say it to you, but listen. Men, when you choose to not trust, you are choosing to not be loved. No wonder we're so trapped in our pain. I ask you to circle that word control. Control my life the way I thought I could. I was telling Mark on the way up that some pretty extensive research has been done on us as men. And a lot of men, as you know, some of you maybe are there or have been there, men go through a kind of like a midlife crisis. because they weren't able to control their life the way they thought they could. And I want to tell you something, men. The, the number one cause of male burnout is bitterness. Is bitterness. I never got to process the pain of what happened to me in my life. And I finally get to the point where I can't take it anymore and I break down. Or I try to reinvent me. Look at the rest of this little statement. Stuck with unresolved life issues. Unresolved life issues. Whose symptoms I am trying to solve without help from others. 
unresolved life issues. I asked Ross and Mark, it was okay, and they said yes. And so for those of you who would like to, I'm going to do a, a, just kind of like an extra session this afternoon at 2 o'clock. And at 2 o'clock, I'd like to, whoever would like to come, 2 or 200, whatever, what I would like to do is I would like to talk with you men about a process called the control cycle or the sin cycle or the compulsive life cycle. And I'd like to invite you just to come and sit with me because I want to talk with you about something. Our unresolved life issues, men, are robbing every present relationship from who we are. Wow, that's a happy thought. Thanks for coming, Bill. (laughs) Let me say it to you again. Every unresolved life issue is robbing your present relationships from who you are. So what do we do? We attempt to work on the symptoms. And I try to solve them without help from others because I don't have a clue how to get to the core of who I am. By the way, that's why we need Jesus. Remember what I said last night, one of my goals for the weekend? That our theology would touch our reality. There is nothing, men, about our reality that Jesus at the cross did not make provision for. Nothing. Nothing. Whose symptoms I am trying to solve, here's the key, without help from others. I say this teasingly, good luck. The problem is never in the symptoms, and the solution is never in you. Oh, is this guy blessing us? I just can't believe. What an encouragement he is. Woo, how, glad he's here. We're going to talk about that this morning. I want to quickly go to the exchange. That's going to be tonight. There is no way for the resolution of my awakening unless I experience an exchange. Unless I encounter God's protective love in my family, my spouse, my close friends. Now watch these next words. Who ask for permission to access my life in exchange for their protection. Um, You already know the answer to my question. What's it like when somebody butts into your life and tells you what they think of you? Well, what it does is it makes you feel happy. No, it doesn't. It causes you to react. And one of the biggest mistakes we can make as men is to try to access another man's life without permission. It'll never work. And permission comes only with trust. I'll tell you a personal story. When our children were 15, 13, and 8, Young Life put out a family questionnaire, a little booklet, of all kinds of questions about the family. And we kind of showed it to our kids, and we said, would you guys like to go through this with mom and dad? And 
we'll go up to the Dodd's cabin and spend a weekend. And they, they surprised us and said they would. I don't remember any of the questions except the two I'm going to tell you about. And, and there was a little procedure. You would take the booklet, and everybody got a chance. It would say, Dad reads, Mom reads, Child reads. And, it, and then you would just do this. You would, you'd read the question twice, and the family would have paper and a pencil, and then you would say go, and people would write an answer, and then you'd share the answer. It's kind of a neat event until we got to this question. If there was one thing, my turn to read, if there was one thing you could change about your dad, what would it be? Let me read it again. If there's one thing you could change about your dad, what would it be? Go, and all three of our children, without looking at you, pick up their pencil and went like that and put the pencil down. And I noticed it. <laughs> the next question was this. Dad reads, if there was one thing you change about your mother, what would it be? If there was one thing you change about your mother, what would it be? Go. And they all went, oh, write something. <laughs> I could see it was a learning moment. And I said to them, what did you write for your mom? And honestly, to this day, I can't remember what they wrote. I just can't remember. Something really nebulous. She makes me clean the room or whatever. Bill, son, oldest, 15. Bill, what'd you write for dad? Impatient. 13-year-old daughter was crying. She couldn't even give me her answer impatient. My eight-year-old daughter, impatient. Oh, I hadn't given my children permission to talk to their dad about how he was affecting them. Pretty painful moment. So I said to the kids, listen, this is pretty serious. Um, the next time I'm impatient, would you just tell me? Our 15-year-old son said to him, in that moment, he said, Dad, you're the last person I would talk to when he's impatient. <laughs> we could see we weren't making much progress. <laughs> the 13-year-old girl just kept crying. So I tried to get breakthrough to the kids, and uh, you probably did it with your kids. And so I said to him, remember when you were young and and you, you, we gave you 10 cents, and you had to check off these boxes for doing something right, pick up your shoes or whatever. And then when you got 10 of them, we'd give you a dollar. And they all said, yeah. I said, well, hey, this is pretty serious. I can tell I've really hurt you. So what I want you to do, you can't tell me, but I want you to do is I want you to write down each time I'm impatient with you, and I'll give you 50 cents. Our youngest daughter went to the little dime store, and she bought a little folder, a little notebook, Our son didn't bother. Our 13-year-old and I began a healing process. The 8-year-old, about a week later, maybe 10 days, she sat me down one day, and she had this little folder, this little notebook, and she said, Dad, you owe me $17.50. <laughs> 
Um, listen, guys. I didn't know how to give my kids permission to who I was. It took me three years to work through with my daughter. This one issue. My impatience had taught her that she didn't match up to her dad's expectations because she wasn't enough. Boy, did I hurt her. We have a great relationship today. Love her and her kids. But, but I want to tell you something. Back then, I didn't know this truth. We're going to talk about it tonight. And tomorrow morning, we're going to talk about the breakthrough. And the breakthrough is this, experiencing breakthroughs from unresolved life issues into the health and legacy God planned for me since the, before the world began. Remember those verses I read to you last night from 1 Peter? God gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might what? Exalt you. That he might exalt you. Do you know there's something in the heart of God about you? <laughs> there's something in the heart of God about you. He has a destiny for your life. So here's one of my one-liners. God's destiny is always greater than our potential. God's destiny is always greater than our potential and always more significant than our plans. Peter's potential was maybe to be the best fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, but his destiny was to change the world. Your potential men has to do with your skill set. Your destiny has to do with your heart. Your destiny has to do with your heart. So let's go into this first little outline in a few minutes this morning. And it's not really an outline, it's just a continuation of the thoughts that I've shared with you. But I want to add some huge value to this first part. Awakening the pain and not being able to control my life the way I thought I could. Struck with unresolved life issues whose symptoms I'm trying to solve without the help of others. And I mentioned to you that there's something in the way. And let me tell you what I believe it is. At the root of our pain... And at the root of our unresolved life issues is our shame. I'll tell you what guilt is. Guilt is feeling bad because I did something wrong. Shame is the awareness that because of sin, something is wrong with me. Wow, really? And I want to tell you, no matter how great a mask you wear or how much you polish the apple, at the core of who we are, because of sin, is shame. 
I'm going to read to you the beginning of the story of this reality. It's in Genesis chapter 3. It's the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, and I want to kind of use it as an example for our getting in touch with the need for our own personal awakening. I want to say to you in advance of this story, brothers, Jesus not only died for your sin, he made you new so you wouldn't have to live out of your shame. When we as Christians still live out of our shame, it's because we don't understand his grace. He died for your sin, and on the cross, he became your shame. I was preaching at a church in Phoenix, and I was preaching on the subject of shame, and right in the middle of my message, a young woman came down that aisle and came and stood right there. And she looked up at me with red eyes and a very angry voice. And she said very loud in front of everybody, are you sure that Jesus died for my shame? In front of everybody. I don't even know this lady. She said, my parents were missionaries, and for five years I was sexually abused in the boarding schools they sent me to. She said, I'm a prostitute today, and I'm full of shame. Are you sure that Jesus died for our shame? And the answer is, absolutely. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Listen to this story. I'm going to tie it to the cross. Verse number 6 of Genesis chapter 3. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and it was delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of them both were open. They knew that they were naked. For the first time in their life, they experienced shame. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Why? Because they wanted to do whatever it took to cover their shame. Did it work? No, it didn't work. You know what? If we could only believe what I just said, they committed the first act of sin management in the world. Sin management cannot work. Every, 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 every act of sin demands a redemptive resolution. Every act of sin. And we know the story, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves. Let me suggest something to you. The reason we hide from each other and are afraid to be known is because of our shame. And we don't think there's any resolution 
And even as Christian men, we can say that we do confess our sin to God, but we still hide because we don't believe our shame is covered. All of our hiding has its root in our shame. And what does God do? But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Here's the theology. I was afraid because I was shamed and I hid. By the way, that's why we hide from God. Some of you men here today may not be believers. You might still be in that place where you're attempting to hide from God. Could we ask you to think about God as the solution to the pain in your need? There are some men right over here. If you'd like to talk to one of them about where you stand with God, they're here to talk to you. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now listen to this. And the man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree. What's that called? Blame. It's called blame. Hear the sequence, guys? We, because of our shame, hide and cannot accept what is true about us So we are full of blame. And he says to the woman, what have you done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. What's that called? Blame. It's called blame. And then in verse number 21, it says, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and he clothed them. He provided for them a solution to their shame. And so has Jesus Christ for you men. It is not the intention of God that we as Christian men live out of our shame. It's the intention of God that we learn to live out of who he says we are. So I'm going to be really careful with you right now with some words. There's a verse in Jeremiah that says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And I'm going to tell you something. That's true of what used to be true about you as a Christian. It's really important, men, that we believe that God has given us a new heart. He has given you a new heart Remember what I said last night? You are not who you used to be. You have been given a new heart. You do not have to see yourself out of the story of your shame. I can choose to believe that God has given me a new heart, that I, as a Christian man, an exercise in my relationship with you. 
I mentioned it last night. I want to say it this morning. The great evidence that we are Christians is our love for one another. That's the great evidence that we are Christians. But you know what it takes for love to be the evidence of your life? A new heart. It takes a new heart. I'm going to just close by reading to you something out of Luke chapter 18. I'd like you to turn there if you have your Bible. It'll kind of sum up what I've been saying to you last night and this morning. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. Listen as I read this verse. He being Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Now he's telling it to an audience who trusted in themselves. Now what do we know? If they trusted in themselves, they lacked what? Humility. If they trusted themselves, they lacked humility. They trusted themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. They treated others with contempt. What does that mean? It means this. That when I lack humility, I will not treat you with love. To treat someone with contempt is to treat them without love. So here, here's my point of the morning. We need an awakening. You and I, we need an awakening. We need to come to the hope that there actually is a, a resolution to the pain of who we are and the way we viewed ourselves. And we need to come to the hope that what God says about it is, us is true. And then I need to come to this, brothers. I need to come to the realization, as I said last night, that I need you. I, without you, never have a clear picture of me. Ever. So as we begin this process this morning, and I'm going to go into it again tonight and tomorrow morning, I just want to be encouraging to us. What would happen if a group of men as large as us actually made the decision to believe that God has made us new? And we no longer have to live out of the shame of who we used to be. I'd like to pray with you again. Father, we all thank you for the ministry of this day. Boy, for, for Warren, Jeffrey, Father, for Dave and the group. And Father, we pray that as we open the word together, that Father, there would be every man here willing to come to an awakening to understand that for us personally, no matter what the issue, 
there is a solution at a place called Calvary. And God intends us, you intend us, to live in relationship where we love each other when the worst of us is known. Encourage us with these thoughts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.